Hello, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Theology Podcast, and I'm Caleb Graves, your very sane, very normal host. If you don't know who I am, if you're not one of my friends who's listening just to be nice, I am a recent graduate of Duke Divinity School and was ordained at a Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Church in 2019. I spent a lot of the past three years of seminary trying to understand psychedelic drugs, altered states of consciousness in general, and how these experiences might intersect with Christian faith and religion as a whole. And I'm excited to bring you a lot of this research and a lot of the passion that I have for this topic here today in this podcast. The format of these podcasts will be pretty low-key. For now, there's no interviews, no gimmicks, just me taking a half hour to explain some aspect of psychedelic drugs and their relationship to religion in general and Christian theology in particular. Please consider subscribing to my Patreon to keep this ministry funded, and remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. I thought I'd start off this podcast with a serious topic, death. From medical research to philosophy, psychedelics and death are very intertwined right now, and I think it's an important place to dive into the deep questions about how psychedelics can intersect with Christian faith in particular and religion as a whole. So this summer, I'm going to lead us through a short three-part series about death, religion, and psychedelics. In this first episode, we'll touch on the ways that psychedelics and religion can therapeutically prepare us for our inevitable demise. In July's episode, we'll compare the Christian afterlife and its concepts of heaven and hell with the psychedelic experience and how these two have a lot of parallels. To finish in August, we'll talk about the concept of theosis, the process of increasing unity with God, and how this compares to monistic or pantheistic understandings of psychedelic experiences. For today, we're not going to be talking about the afterlife or its implications. Instead, we're going to talk about death as a universal experience that we all must have, and that we all should prepare for. And even if you're an agnostic or an atheist, I'm generally someone who is not religious at all. Someone who just thinks that when we die, the lights go out. I think you'll be able to get something out of today's episode, too. Because death affects all of us. We've probably heard dads repeat Ben Franklin's joke before that there's only two things certain in life, death and taxes. But while it's conceivable that one could avoid taxes through bribing politicians, offshore accounts, or living off the grid, it's simply impossible to avoid death. As I'm putting this podcast together, the world is mesmerized by the search for a billionaire-laden Titanic exploratory sub that was lost in the North Atlantic. It's a rather harrowing tale and lesson. No matter how much money or resources or connections or accomplishments we amass in life, Christ reminds us in the Gospels that it all rots. We simply cannot avoid death. And I think that if all of us are honest, death and its inevitability upsets us at least a little bit. We may feel grief when thinking about death. Everything we know, 
love, and build our identities on is stripped away. We cannot take our relationships with family and friends with us. Our life's work, whatever that might be, from scientific research to artistic endeavors, it all stays behind. We're no longer members of any church or club. We're not citizens of any country or state. We're not veterans of any war or members of a political party even. We're just dead. All that once defined us is gone. And from that can come grief. In addition to grief, we might also feel fear. Even if we have firm beliefs about what happens after we die, we don't exactly know what it's like to die when it finally happens. There's a big difference between knowing how cliff jumping works in theory, after all you're just jumping off a cliff, but that's very different than taking the plunge. And there's a big difference between thinking about death and actually dying. Human beings have dealt with this fear and grief about death in very different ways throughout history, and some of them have been quite extreme. The small sect of agori or fearless ones, as translated, are a Shiva-worshipping sect in India who do some seemingly outrageous things. They meditate on top of rotting corpses, consume dead bodies, and cover their own bodies in cremation ashes to demonstrate that death and life are imaginary categories. To them, there is only the non-dualistic one. Thousands of miles away in the Czech Republic, the Sedlec Ossuary is a Catholic church decorated with tens of thousands of skeletons, some of which belong to people who died in the Black Death. These bones are used to form artwork, chandeliers, chalices, and more forms of art throughout the church. This macabre display attracts hundreds of thousands of visitors and faithful pilgrims every year, and I must admit I've been fascinated with this church since I was a young child, and it's on my bucket list to eventually visit. These are ways to try to come to terms with death that might be shocking or disturbing to us. But recently there has been an emerging, but perhaps no less extreme, way to come to terms with death right in the United States, in my own backyard. Psychedelic drugs. High doses of psychedelic drugs can induce experiences called ego death that closely resemble physically dying. In my own experience of ego death, it seemed that my mind was a diamond. As the trip intensified, this diamond shattered into a million little silver slivers and they floated away above me into a colorful kaleidoscope. And then I was gone. I had no memories, no thoughts, no identity. To quote an aphorism that's frequently talked about with psychedelics, I was no longer having an experience. An experience was having me. It was only hours later when I realized that something had happened to me at all. It seemed that I had just disappeared into the colorful, sacred geometry of this psychedelic experience. Other trips that involve ego death are much more bizarre. This trip report comes from Dr. Rick Strassman's study of high-dose intravenous DMT with the University of New Mexico. 
It's recorded in Dr. Strassman's book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. The subject, who was named Rex for this experiment, said this. When I was first going under, there were these insect creatures all around me. They were clearly trying to break through. I was fighting letting go of who I am or was. The more I fought, the more demonic they became, probing into my psyche and being. I finally started letting go of parts of myself as I could no longer keep so much of me together. As I did, I still clung to the idea that all was God and God was love, and I was giving myself up to God and God's love because I was certain I was dying. As I accepted my death and dissolution into God's love, the insectoids began to feed on my heart, devouring those feelings of love and surrender. As you can hear from this quote, some experiences of ego death can be beautiful, others can be bizarre, but we know that they can be therapeutic for people with death anxiety. One study of terminal cancer patients by Johns Hopkins, published in the Journal of Pharmacology in 2016, found that a single psilocybin session, that's the active ingredient magic mushrooms, greatly reduced fear of death. Another study from Johns Hopkins, published in 2022, found that the therapeutic effects of psychedelics resembled those of near-death experiences, also called NDEs. Near-death experiences are the sort of experiences people report having when they almost die in traumatic accidents or perhaps after cardiac arrest. About 90% of those who had NDEs and about 90% of those who had powerful psychedelic experiences both reported that the experience reduced their fear of death. For both psychedelics and near-death experiences, it seems that the primary benefit is a sort of exposure therapy. If you don't know, exposure therapy is a way to treat fear and anxiety by facing the very thing which causes that fear and anxiety. Personally, I've had a huge phobia of any dog bigger than a corgi since I was a young child. I was overcome with these obsessive thoughts that I would be mauled or mutilated by these dogs. I remember being introduced to a dog my parents were considering adopting, and it freaked me out so much that I had to climb on top of my seat in the vet's office. It even affected my social life as a young adult. I would avoid social interactions where people brought their adorable Labrador retrievers. But I knew as I got older that I had to break this fear, and this is pretty new for me. When my best friend Dean was going out of town for a wedding recently, he asked if I could dog sit his two large dogs, including a pit bull mix. I accepted, partially because I wanted to help my friend out, he frequently watches my cats, but also because I knew I couldn't live with this phobia any longer. And by the second day of taking care of these dogs, innocuously named Daisy and Juniper, I had no fear of dogs at all. I played tug-of-war with them, snuggled them on the couch, and saw that they were really just big babies whose bark was worse than whatever bite they could muster. That is exposure therapy, or at least one type of it, casually used. Being repeatedly shown the thing you fear until you're not irrationally afraid of it anymore. Psychedelics can do the same thing. 
by taking psychedelic substances and inducing a simulation resembling death. We face the thing we fear, and it might not be as scary anymore. This might be a slow introduction, starting with small or moderate doses of psychedelics to get a handle on letting go of control, which is also deeply connected to our fear of death many times. With magic mushrooms, this might only be a 1 to 2 grams of dried mushrooms. After a few smaller moderate psychedelic doses, a therapist or clinician may then introduce higher doses that cause ego death closer to 3.5 to 5 grams. Alternatively, though, Johns Hopkins and some other researchers prefer a 0 to 60 sort of approach, giving people with no psychedelic experience 3.5 to 5 grams worth of magic mushrooms as a starter dose. In his book Sacred Knowledge, Dr. William Richards recounts the story of a terminally ill woman just weeks from death who had a taste of her upcoming death using DPT, a lesser-known psychedelic substance. After a period of time traversing a visionary landscape of desolate rock, she came across a gate. Within this gate, she heard angels singing and saw a land covered in flowers. The experience ended before she could enter the gate, but she declared, If I ever see that gate again, I'm a going right through. Weeks later, after her death, Dr. Richards received a letter from the woman's daughter. The daughter said, My mother asked me not to be afraid or sad of her when she died. Thank you for telling me that the only way to conquer your fears is to face them. I didn't know that. Out of all the sadness and pain, something good came out of it. You see, the fact of the matter is that we are not rational beings as much as we would like to pretend we are. We are also irrational beings who love what they cannot have, fear what they do not understand, and try to avoid or control what we rationally know is inevitable. Psychedelic therapy to treat death anxiety may be dressed up in the rational garb of science, but it is truly an irrational or unrational medicine. It is clinically induced madness to seek experiences which resemble death, in which the diamonds of our mind shatter, psychic gates open to an eternal field of flowers, and insectoid entities feast on the very fiber of our consciousness. But that madness, that is where the healing happens. That is what ego death does. It is no more rational than the Agori corpse rituals, the Sedlec ossuary, or a thousand other rituals we undertake to come to terms with the reality that one day the light goes out, everything goes dark, and we don't know what happens next. But these rational experiences of facing and accepting death do not provide a guarantee that we will walk away changed after a psychedelic experience. Sometimes I hear people say that they, quote, achieved ego death, as if it was a notch for a psychedelic bedpost. Instead of killing their ego, psychedelics merely inflated it. The self-proclaimed high priest of LSD, Timothy Leary, was one such person. 
listen to a poem about ego death from his book, The Psychedelic Experience. O oh, Timothy Leary, the time has come for you to seek new levels of reality. Your ego and the Timothy game are about to cease. You are about to be set face to face with the clear light. You are about to experience it in its reality. In the ego-free state, wherein all things are like the void and cloudless sky, and the naked, spotless intellect is like a transparent vacuum. At this moment, know yourself and abide in that state. O oh, Timothy Leary, that which is called ego death is coming to you. Remember, this is now the hour of death and rebirth. Take advantage of this temporary death to obtain the perfect state, enlightenment. From this poem and Leary's other descriptions of ego death, it would seem that he was quite prepared for his death. But this was not the case. He had neither the life nor the death of a man who had obtained esoteric, special truth about death or the nature of reality. Despite dropping acid hundreds of times, Leary left behind a legacy of questionable research ethics with students, broken relationships, heroin and cocaine use, and a reputation for megalomania. As he approached death, it seemed that he still denied its reality. He initially wanted to be frozen for the possibility of resurrection in a utopian scientific future. And despite his chipper demeanor to reporters, friends said that he was depressed, using drugs like cocaine and nitrous oxide over and over again. He was haunted by nightmares and deeply afraid of the inevitability of what to come. One friend stated, he is so afraid of dying as any of us. Perhaps more so, because he doesn't believe that anything comes after this. It didn't matter how many times Leary experienced ego death. Death was still hard, maybe even harder, because this time he knew he wasn't coming back. Death was still scary for Timothy Leary. Death was still depressing. Maybe this can lead us into a better understanding of death. If psychedelic drugs alone don't lead us towards a good relationship with death, maybe we need something else. Maybe there is more than just the drug experience that is necessary for the drug experience to be therapeutic. What if we chose to no longer see acceptance of death as a conquest of death? After all, we frequently speak about conquering our fears or overcoming our fears. But what if we built relationships with our fears? In 1 Corinthians 15.55, Paul personifies death. He proclaims, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? We see personifications of death throughout our culture. From the Grim Reaper to the ghost of Christmas yet to come in Charles Dickens' Christmas story, Perhaps we can look at these understandings of death and begin to build a relationship with death, too. When I faced my phobia of dogs with Daisy and Juniper, I didn't conquer these dogs. I didn't use violence against them or yell at them or beat them down in some way. I gave them treats. 
I hugged them. I fed them. I took them on walks. I read next to them. We got comfortable together. Perhaps that's how it should be with our fear of death as well. When we seek to conquer our fear of death, we may find that we're ironically not really facing our fear of death at all. When we take higher and higher doses of psychedelics to quote-unquote conquer death, convincing ourselves that we're not afraid anymore, is it possible that we're actually seeking to control what is uncontrollable once again? We're fooling ourselves into believing that we have overcome that which will ultimately consume us? Instead of conquering death, let's get comfortable with it. Build relationship with it. St. Francis has a traditional prayer where he personified Brother Sun, Sister Moon, Sister Water, and Sister Death. Francis thanks God for Sister Death, saying, Praised be you, O Lord, through Sister Death, from whom no one living can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Blessed are they she finds doing your will. But how does one build a relationship with death? Consider this. Think about who you were 10 years ago. Remember what kind of music you listened to, some of your political or religious beliefs, your likes or dislikes, your school or job. 10 years ago, I was a 15-year-old boy in the throes of his first relationship, convinced that this young woman would eventually be my wife. I believed that most of the world would burn in hell for eternity, especially LGBTQ plus people. I believed that the earth was 6,000 years old and that all drugs were bad. And here I sit now recording this podcast for you, married to a totally different person, accepting of myself as a bisexual and gender-bending person, a believer in theistic evolution, a universalist, and a psychonaut, someone who really enjoys drugs. While there is some continuity, I am in many ways a radically different person than I was 10 years ago. In fact, if you put 15-year-old me and 25-year-old me in a room together, I think it would pretty quickly evolve into a screaming match or even a cage fight. And I think you can recognize that in yourself too, even if it's just in small ways. We change. Parts of us die and we don't even notice day after day. When you think about yourself, is there anything essential? Anything that you can't imagine changing? We may delude ourselves into thinking there is, but we know from neuroscience that head injury, tumor, tragedy, or disease can completely and radically alter our personality, perspective, and abilities. The idea that we are a coherent individual, a stable personality going through life, is an illusion. While a positive event like a psychedelic trip or other powerful events might alter our sense of self in a short period of time, this sort of change can happen imperceptibly without us noticing over a long period of time. This is, in a very real sense, a slow death. As time marches on, the I that I believe exists transforms and changes into something else I might not even recognize. This is one way that we can build a relationship and grow comfortable with death. We have to mature. We have to grow. 
try new things, be open to new perspectives, admit when we're wrong, learn as we go, and leave dead parts of us behind. Admit that we're not always the good guy in every situation, and try to do better next time with the lessons we've learned. But this is not the only way to build a relationship or become comfortable with death. Perhaps this relational perspective points to yet another type of death. A sort of confrontation that must occur besides that found in extreme rituals or the ego death of psychedelic drugs. It is a daily little dying, the sort of which Jesus and the apostles spoke about. For Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. And Paul said, for we know that our old self was crucified with Christ, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For years, I have been captivated and inspired by the life of Muhammad Bzik. Mr. Bzik is Muslim, not Christian, but I think he personifies what Paul and Jesus were talking about better than almost any Christian I know. He has adopted or fostered dozens of children in LA's foster care system, and they all have severe, often terminal, disabilities. By his own count, ten of these children have died in his arms. His work began when his own child was born with brittle bone disease, and following the death of his beloved wife. He faces death in a very unique way, one far from the euphoria of an LSD or DMT trip. It is found in changing adult diapers, cleaning feeding tubes, and choosing to love a child that he knows could shortly die, a child no one else seemed to want, and a child whom he has to accept he is loving, even if he cannot control what happens to them. This is the small, daily death of our ego which is far harder than the death that comes through the ecstasy of mushrooms or DMT. It is a daily choice. The choice that chooses to put someone else above ourselves. We choose that daily death when we love our enemy, offering up a small prayer or meditation of compassion to that jackass who cut us off in traffic. We choose that daily death when we give up our fun weekend plans to care for our sick child or a sick parent or to volunteer our time to serve others. We choose that daily death when we pay for strangers' medical bills instead of another vacation. We choose that daily death when we refuse a high-paying promotion or career that compromises our morals, what we know to be right. We choose that daily death when we refuse to retire comfortably, giving up golden years for fighting years, trying to salvage a warming planet for our grandchildren and their descendants. We choose the daily death when we lose cherished relationships by calling out bigoted jokes or defending marginalized people from slander around our dinner table. Little by little, we die by loving and by living for the good of others, not trying to protect this illusion that we call the self. This is the practice for our demise which lasts, which leads to a full and contented life, 
without the life of daily dying, of humility, compassion, and love for our neighbor and enemy alike, we can have a thousand heroic doses, a thousand ego deaths on any drug imaginable, and still fear our actual death when it finally comes. However, if we have these powerful psychedelic experiences in partnership with a life of offering ourselves up and pouring ourselves out into our community, children, friends, family, and planet, just as Jesus Christ did in the Incarnation and on the cross, we do not need to fear death or wonder what the life beyond this one is like, if there even is one. We know that we will live on through the sacrificial love we shared. And that is a life well lived. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey today. I'm really excited that I can finally bring this material to you, the listener. So consider subscribing or following on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, YouTube, and whatever podcast platform you're currently using. I'm really excited for other topics that will hopefully be a little more upbeat even coming next month. And I really hope that you can join me for that. Thank you so much for giving me your time and attention. And I hope you have a great day. 